Thank you for those readings from God's Word, and may he add to our understanding of them. Forgive my cough, my asthma's playing up this morning. Do you ever get tired of waiting? Those times when the plumber says he'll be here at nine o'clock, turns up at 11. Or the delivery slot between 10 and 12, the parcel arrives at half past two. Then of course there's the bus that never turns up, or the train that's delayed, usually because of leaves on the line at Leicester, or the driver didn't turn up for work. At home, it can be waiting for the kids to come out of the bathroom or that perennial watching of the pot that never boils. We get fed up waiting, don't we? If the plumber or the parcel don't turn up, we'll go and do something else. Leave the house to meet friends or go and walk the dog. If the train or bus don't arrive, we go home. Phone the boss and say, sorry, can't make it into work today. We just go off and do something else, don't we? No one's watching us, so it doesn't really matter. If no one's watching us, it doesn't matter what we do. At work, if the boss is away, the atmosphere changes, doesn't it? We start to chat, to banter, tell jokes or talk about the football at the weekend. People relax. Work rates slow down, folk slope off for a long lunch. Children are the same at school, aren't they? I'm sure we all remember those occasions when teacher left the classroom. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> remember those occasions when teacher left the classroom and the behaviour changed. Chatter started. Rubbers got thrown around. Behaviour generally got worse. Behaviours change when we get impatient, when we have to wait. We do things differently when we think no one is watching. We think nothing of it, don't we? No one's watching, doesn't matter. If the delivery is late or the bus doesn't turn up, that's not our problem, somebody else's. In our reading from Luke's Gospel, Jesus put that attitude to the test. In fact, he turns it on his head. A servant's waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet. So should we be ready for the return of Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. We have to be patient. We have to wait in eager anticipation of the return of the master, of Jesus Christ. Weddings in the time of Jesus often went on for days and days. So the servants wouldn't know when the master of the house would return. Therefore, patience was needed. Preparations kept at all times so that when the master did return, all would be ready for him. Like the parable of the ten virgins and the lamps, the servants have to be ready, fully dressed, we hear, to receive the master. Remember, too, that in those days there were no buses or trains or trams to get the master home. No street lights to light the way. So the servants kept their lambs burning as a guide to show the way home. And how patient would they have to be? 
Is it coming home tonight? Tomorrow? A couple of days' time? Those of us with teenage children or offspring living at home will know the sort of anxiety and patience needed while waiting for them to turn home late at night. So it was with the servants. Patience and calmness needed and heightened anticipation of the return. What though, if the servants lost their patience, gave up on the master, decided to do their own thing? Jesus draws a comparison with the house owner, house owner who wasn't keeping an eye on his property and it was burgled. His possessions taken, left with nothing. Similarly, the servants would have missed the return of the master. And look what they'd have missed. The master we hear actually turning the tables on them and serving them, dressed as a servant, letting them recline in the comfy chairs. Such would be the reward for their patience and their desire to do what was right for the master and doing his will. What's all that got to do with us? How does a tale of servants waiting in the dark for their master to turn up after a few days enjoying himself at a wedding affect the way we live our lives and the faith we should have? A number of things come to mind. We need to be patient. They're patient waiting for the bus, aren't they? We need to be patient, believing that Christ will come again. We've been told several times that Jesus will return, that he will come to take those who are alive to heaven and to raise the dead to eternal life. What we don't know, and even Jesus didn't know, is when all that will happen. It's up to God our Father to make that decision, and until he does, we are left in the dark. What do we do then? Do we say to ourselves, oh, I've been waiting 2,000 years or so and he still hasn't shown up, so I'm going off to do my own thing and he can wait for me if he turns up at all? Rather like the attitude when the plumber or the delivery man doesn't turn up. Do we lose faith, literally? Start to wonder if he cares about us at all? Do we start to behave like errant children when the teacher has left the classroom? Look at what Jesus says about those who go off on that path. Those who behave in their own way rather than the Lord's way. They'll be punished. Not only for the way they behave and the damage they do to others, but for their lack of belief that he will return. The lack of patience. The lack of trust that Jesus will do as he has said. We need to persevere in our faith. To stand fast in our love for Jesus and our faith in him. We have to behave as if he was coming here to Market Harbour this afternoon. To take us to eternal life. We have to treat others as Jesus would treat them. Remember he came to save sinners. Not to condemn them. And there are plenty of sinners about. And by that I mean those who don't believe. Rather than those who are guilty of any particular crime or standard of behaviour, or victim of circumstance. And we should behave towards them as Jesus would.
My father was the son of a congregational minister. It gets me a brownie point, doesn't it? And his father was also the son of a congregational minister, so that's two points. So he was taken to church every Sunday. In those days, every church had its own minister, every town had its own church, and so everybody knew everybody else. As he grew older and observed the people around him at church, he began to wonder why all these folk dressed in their Sunday finery and being very pleasant and convivial towards those next to them in the pews didn't behave in the same manner for the other six days of the week. Our faith then must be constant in all that we are and all that we do. The greater the faith, the greater will be our reward. Not only will Jesus trust us enough to give us more things to do, but he will be our companion servant. Jesus said he no longer calls us servants, but friends. And so he will be a friend to us and treat us as one with him. Some say they don't need faith to be saved. All that they have required in good deeds and possessions they've built up is enough for them to be taken to heaven. Sorry, it's not so. The psalmist reminds us in the psalm we heard earlier, and I quote, No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength, and a horse, despite its strength, is vain hope for deliverance. He goes on to say that the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. So what do we do now? The answer is we have to be patient, just as they are, just as the servants were, for the coming of our Lord, for he has promised to return. We have to be ready for that momentous event. We have to have faith that endures for as long as it takes, even though we have no idea when it will happen. We have to keep the faith, behaving in our lives in the way Jesus wants us to, showing others his love and telling of his saving and redeeming and enduring grace. Keep the faith. A faith that endures as Jesus has faith in us and be ready for the coming of our Lord. Those of you who are into choral and classical music will know of Mendelssohn's Elijah, his oratorio. And in that, there's a chorus. And it's taken from Matthew 24, verse 13. Those who stand firm to the end will be saved. It says it all, really, doesn't it? Amen. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall and crown him. Lord of all, Lord of everything we do, everything we are, everything we be, everything we mean. Let's crown him Lord of everything. 
crown him Lord of all. Let's sing. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Father God, may we go from this place rejoicing we have been in your presence, taking that presence with us in all that we are and all that we do, rejoicing in your name, knowing that you are indeed Lord of all. And now let's say the grace together, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen.